at Holy Communion, a long-standing conversation about faith, life, justice, arts, culture. Each week, we will premiere a conversation on our channels. And then on the following Sunday, we join in the conversation with Q&A and the chance to engage on the topic. We're so glad you have joined us. Welcome to the forum, folks. My name is Mike. I'm one of the priests at Holy Communion, and I'm so glad to be joined today uh, by a sometimes visitor at Holy Communion. I love your phrase for it. I'll let you, you claim that in a minute, but longtime Episcopalian, multi-generational Episcopal family. Uh, Debbie's one of the people, Debbie Nelson Link is one of the people I think of when I think of my grandmother's phrase, uh, we're not cradle Episcopalians, we are genetic Episcopalians. Uh, and we're keeping in the family, um, Maggie Link, Debbie's daughter, has just been elected onto our vestry at Holy Communion as well. So Debbie, it's wonderful to be with you. Um, and I, can you tell me first how you talk about your uh, time at Holy Communion? I love your phrase for that. I have dual citizenship between the cathedral <laughs> and Holy Communion. I feel at home in both places. Oh, well, we are glad you feel at home. And I know that I would never be able to allow, allowed to call you as a full citizen because uh, Kathy would, I would get in trouble with Dean Kathy, but we are so glad to have you around. And I'm so glad to be with you today. And, uh, and I know that a number of folks in our congregation knew you when uh, your yeah. family remembers of All Saints as well. So it's a long time family tradition and we're just so glad to have you. But today we're so excited to have you because you have a book coming out um, and it fits, your book fits so much into some conversations we've been having at Holy Communion around representation. I'm gonna pull up a picture of your book because we have those powers, but <laughs> Polly Murray, Shouting for the Rights of All People, which comes out May, when does it come out? May 17th, May fingers 17th. crossed. <laughs> yeah, and uh, from Morehouse Publishing, you can get your pre-orders now. We'll put links in the description and everything, but I'm so excited for this book, but I thought I would ask you first, like how did you decide to write about a book about Polly Murray? Who was Polly? So um, Church Publishing actually contacted me um, because I had written a small book about Absalom Jones and they were already publishing a book about Absalom Jones, but they liked the way I wrote and the, the way I talked to children. And a month or so later, they called and said, hey, would you be willing to have a conversation about a Polly Murray book? This is the next person we want to write about. And we want a black woman to write this book. That's important to us. And, you know, your education background with young children, we wanted for children grades three through six. And so, um, of course, nerd that I am, before I went into the conversation with them, I had ordered a bunch of books about Polly Murray so I could know more about her than I already knew. And kind of studied up and, and formulated um, the idea for the book. So I, I started to have a vision about what the book would be about. And it, it was actually church publishing that put me on that path of studying more about Polly Murray and learning about her. So so who was Polly Murray? Like, give us a, a crash course for those who haven't. Okay, so there's this long, long list of things. Yeah. So, so Polly Murray is one of those people in 
in I'll call it American history and black history that we've not heard enough about. She's been around, you know, whole time. But Polly Murray was a lawyer. She was a teacher. She was a civil rights activist, um, a poet, um, one of the founding members of now the National Organization for Women. And eventually her, her last position was as an Episcopal priest and significantly was the first African-American woman to be ordained in the Episcopal church. Yeah, yeah, um, big moment in the life of the church. And she's also important because she, um, in addition to all these accomplishments, was a pretty prolific writer, right? Yeah. And, and yeah. gives us some of the really important firsthand accounts of Jim Crow or what she called Jane Crow. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, so she talked about um, two different kinds of discrimination that she experienced during her life. And of course, there were the Jim Crow laws that segregated people by race and, and kept people apart and all the harsh rules that were put in place and different rules in different parts of the country. But when she went, she was raised by these, this incredibly strong woman, her aunt, um, had a grandmother that helped raise her. and when she she goes away to uh, Howard Law School and she has been to predominantly black schools all her life and she's all ready to, to be a civil rights lawyer. And one of the professors says, I don't even know why women are here. <laughs> you know, what, what are women doing in law school? So there are two women that start in the program and she is one and by the end of that year, She's the only one. And so she likens this unto Jim Crow, but it's discrimination based on gender. And so she, she coins the phrase, uh, Jane Crow is what she calls it. Yeah. Yeah. And then she ends up graduating near or at the top of her class. And she graduates at the top of her class, gains the respect of all the men, and um, actually receives a scholarship. Um, she's supposed to, um, had she been differently gendered, um, could have gone to Howard, no, excuse me, to Harvard. And uh, there was a scholarship that came along with the person at the top of the class, but Harvard didn't accept women at the time. And so once again, Jane Crow comes into play for her. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the list of accomplishments and the, the list of sort of credit or ability to accept them uh, for Polly Murray is it, like denied to her is sort of incredible because her senior thesis at Howard, she basically comes up with the argument that eventually wins Brown versus Board of Education. Yes. And nobody knows that until years and years later when they find out Thurgood Marshall was cribbing off of Polly's notes, right? So, so one of the amazing things that she continued to do throughout her life was these obstacles and barriers that she came up against, she didn't let those stop her. Mm. That, that was not a thing um, for Polly. So Polly would just, okay, this is the barrier. Now I'm gonna go here and do this instead. So it, 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 was, it was not even a blow to her. Mm. It was very clear that they had this path that they were to follow for their life. And so um, it was always for her, don't get mad, get smart. <laughs> mm -hmm. 
So it's interesting. I, I mean, there, there's been more and more coming out. I mean, Yale named a college after Polly. My mm -hmm. seminary where she was for like a semester has named a building after her. Mm -hmm. uh, but, and, and there's an amazing uh, documentary that came out on Amazon this year about Polly. Mm -hmm. Who is this book for? Like, as you tell the story, you say third grade to sixth grade, but who are you writing specifically for? So I've taught, I've taught African-American history to young children for a long time. Um, I was a kindergarten teacher and there were, you know, there was the Martin Luther King lesson and there was a Rosa Parks lesson. There was that. So that's all we ever learned about. So we're always assigned, assigned who our heroes are. Here are five heroes for you and that's all you can have. And so there, there's this lack of um, education for very young children, be, even though they have the ability to take this information in. So the idea with the Polly Murray book is we need to have more introduction to um, African-Americans for young children. Um, so history usually starts fourth, fifth grade, and then more in depth in sixth, seventh grade, but they've missed all these formative years for mm -hmm. kids. So this book is written for young kids as an introduction to Polly Murray. And there are, there are different levels in the book that I'm hoping that kids will connect with. So if you're a very young reader and you're reading this or somebody's kind of reading this to you, you're hearing, oh, this is the name of this person. Oh, this person um, was a civil rights person. I know a little bit about the civil rights era. I know about Martin Luther King, so this is another civil rights person. So they have, they start to have hooks. They start to develop these hooks for later education. So there's some very basic things in there, but also what I tried to put in the book was things that kids could connect with at different levels. So if you're a very young kid, you're learning the name, you're learning some things that she did, that she went to school, that she didn't give up, that she was successful. If you're at another level, you're gonna look at this book and there's gonna be some information there that you might say, hmm, didn't know that. So for example, I tried to normalize the fact that she had a relationship with a woman. That, that I didn't wanna weigh that any heavier than any other part of her life. So there's a simple sentence in there that says um, she loved and she loved and cared for Irene Barlow. Period. That's what people do. They love each other. They care for each other. Kids at that next level are thinking, "Hmm, okay, something is going on there." Older kids will look at that and say, "Oh, okay, I get it. I get it." The other thing that's in there is um, a little bit of introduction to pronoun usage. Yeah. So um, I'm back and forth and I'm still learning so that this is a matter of respect to use proper pronouns. This is who I am and this is how I want you to, to um, relate to me. This is who I am and how I walk in the world. So that part is is in there. And so there was a discussion back and forth with the editors and publishers and everything. They said, change it all to they, them. Yeah. And I was like, no, she didn't call. Polly didn't call Polly they, them. Um, Polly was a writer. So I suspect she may have had some objection to that. 
mm-hmm. because of, of how the English language is set up. Well, and it's just, it wasn't a convention in Paul. And, and at the time, you could only have column A or column B. That's all that was available to, to Pauli being born in 1910. And so they, and so they played the game, mm-hmm. you know? I'll put the clothes on and I'll do the things, but I have my life and I know who I am. So that was another thing that was going on with Paulie Murray. But but um, so the what I came up with, the concession for the book was I'll do the first part of the book to honor Paulie's voice. So I use she, her pronouns. Mm-hmm. And then when there's there's a switch for the character, when Paulie goes to college, and she's um, naming herself and thinking about, um, I want my hair short, kind of like wearing pants sometimes. I'm not going to do all these conventional things. I'm just going to be Polly. Then I changed it to they, them. But I didn't do it with a pronouncement. Right here is where I change and she's making this transition. It's not because in our lives, we're, we're always transitioning. <laughs> And so with the pronouns, this kind of helps the reader to kind of follow that change. And for older readers, they'll pick up on the language. Younger readers will hear the different language with probably little or no reaction, depending on how much they're, um, how much they hear that in their own environment. And so um, it's, it's a tricky story for that right in in some really important ways because while Polly for her I mean the the phrase that you hear so much about Polly Murray is ahead of their time or ahead of her time yes and it's so true in so many ways because Polly has these self-reflective letters around gender and around dress and around you know the the name was originally Anna Pauline Murray and she hates her first name and chooses her name Polly which mm-hmm. is so ahead of her, uh, you know, ahead of time. Mm-hmm. But in mm-hmm. some ways, the language catching up and that Polly founds the National Organization of Women. She's the first African-American woman ordained to the Episcopal priesthood. Mm-hmm. She had mm-hmm. all roads blocked because of her gender identity, her conventional gender identity. And so it's this tricky, how do you open that up? And I love this idea that you're, you're able to sort of do both. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So that I mean that that was uh, that was my way to balance her story. And what I continue to come back to the publishers with was that in anybody's given life, no one thing outweighs another. So for me personally, when I thought about it, I'm black and I'm a woman and I'm an educator and I'm a wife and I mean, on and on and on. So if somebody told my story, I would hate for them to talk about just one of those things and for that one thing to just define my whole being. And so I tried in in this story with Polly to to do that. It's like, we're all of the things that we are, um, you know, all bound together. And some sometimes one thing comes out stronger than the other. And then sometimes another thing comes out stronger. So, yeah, yeah, I think there's a, the other thing I heard you say was, you know, there's a sentence in there uh, about a same gender relationship. And I, I just want to mark like a sentence is a, is a big amount 
in in the total balance of a children's book, right? Like there's probably yeah. how many sentences, you know? Yeah. Well, you know, um, again, th there's this balance that I wanted to keep that I talked to the publishers about and they kept pushing towards one direction. And it's like, say more, say more. First of all, third graders don't care. <laughs> I don't care who you love. <laughs> They're just not into relationship, you know, they're just not there yet. And so um, it it didn't add or forward the story or Polly's legacy. Yeah. So I, I really wanted them to concentrate on this whole person. And while this was part of it, to say something like that is pretty progressive in a children's book. I've read lots and lots and lots of children's books over the years, and it's not a thing. But suppose children grew up with, and and here's the woman that she loved. Mm -hmm. That's the way kids would think. Oh, okay. Some people love men, some people love women, some people, I mean, you know, there are all these combinations of, and okay, because they just accept things more willingly than 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 we do. And if we never say that to them in a book, if we never start to start that conversation in a book. Or maybe a kid will question that. Maybe a real young kid will question that. Like, well, was this her girlfriend or is this her wife or or whatever? And that's the other good thing is this starts a conversation. You always, the opportunity to start a conversation is a good thing. Yeah. And parents have the option of saying, you know, this is what I believe, you know, and so that that becomes, you know, maybe you'll think something else when you grow up, but this is what I think at this time. So there's there's uh, room for uh, exploration. So how did you decide what were, I mean, you talk about the decision to include the relationship, but honestly, Polly's life is so rich. You had to make some really heavy editorial decisions about which stories to include. Uh, what what stories? I mean, like, don't you can give me all of them, but like, how did you decide to include certain stories? So um, when I was doing my research, this whole idea of her life as being laid out in this long, winding road, mm -hmm. and that, that was the visual that was in my head. And so that's the, exactly the way I wrote. I took a big piece of paper and I drew a long, winding road on it and several pieces of paper and on and on. And then I mapped different things that I found that were pivotal in her life or just interesting things that kids could connect with. One of the things I love that that um, that her uh, book, Song in a Weary Throat, yeah. she talks about school and things like that. She, she got in trouble at school. She talked too much. <laughs> and she made the other kids get in trouble. And I thought, this is so good. This is so good. You never hear about Martin Luther King getting in trouble. You never hear about Harriet Tubman <laughs> talking back or doing anything. But, you know, here this person is that made a significant contribution, but she did a kid-like thing. Mm -hmm. And so we were all started out as kids and we were never, we were never all perfect. Mm -hmm. And that way kids have something to aspire to is that this makes this person normal and I can see things that I do that they did and I can still be that. But when we put people on that pedestal, it's like, oh, they're superhuman, I could never do that. So I, so I, I tried to write this long path. I, I then went back and I added dates to things and then I put meat in the story mm -hmm. um, 
in with those areas. And then I tried to pick out, these are some things that happened in early childhood. These are things that happened in middle childhood, young adulthood. And I kind of started to talk about things like that. And um, so that was really, really helpful. And then you just, you have to scratch so much stuff. It's like, do kids need to know every school that she went to and spell that out? But it was important to mention things like she got a scholarship to Wilberforce, which was the first African-American college. Yeah. And she turned that down. Um, it was important to mention, for me, to mention that the schools only went through 11th grade. So that when she was ready to start college in New York and was unable to start because she didn't have enough credits, mm. um, Polly had to go to um, high school in New York to earn those credits that they thought would take two years, but of course they finished in one year, and you know always always pushing the envelope. Yeah. Um, finished in one year, but but the history of that, you know, trying to share a little bit of history of the times with kids that African American schools, a lot of them only went through grades eleven. Well, that sets you up for failure. And that then is part of, I mean, it's the perfect example of systemic racism. Mm -hmm. like if, you, if you even have the opportunity to attend school, that's a big deal. But if you get there, I'm only gonna provide you with grades through 11 so that college is out of the question. And so any people, any person that grew up at that time that was African-American, had to find their way around the system and thus the creation of a lot of the HBCUs that would take those students and work with them. So they, that was a whole big giant history lesson there. So I was like, I gotta say something about this, <laughs> you know, but just trying to wade through and not make it too heavy for kids to, to understand. And, and even, I mean, it's funny, we joke about the Episcopal church having like 11 people in it, right? That, that we, there's always like three degrees of connection, but yeah, yeah. I, there had to be some stories that you left aside, like, well, I don't know, it did. So one of her priests, one of her significant priests was Michael Allen yes. in New York City, who eventually becomes the dean of the cathedral that, and you knew Michael for a long time here in St. Louis. So does Michael Allen make it into the book or no? Michael Allen didn't make it into the book, but this is how Michael Allen made it into the book. So I'm like reading along and I'm reading um, this book and it's like St. Mark's and the Bowery. And I was like, wait a minute, I know somebody that went to St. Mark's and the Bowery. So I read a little bit further and sure enough there, Michael Allen's name is Michael Allen, Dean of the Cathedral, married me and Dan, baptized mm -hmm. my children. <laughs> and I was very good friends, still am, with Sarah, his daughter. And so I call Sarah and I'm like, Sarah, do you know this woman? You, you know, you were with your dad at this time. And she's like, oh, she looks vaguely familiar. I was like, well, she went to St. Mark's. And she said, I know who would know her. And mm. I said, who would know Polly Murray? And the person that would know Polly Murray was the secretary at St. Mark's, which was still a good friend of Sarah's. Mm. So I got to talk to a real person that knew Polly Murray. So that, I mean, you know, just trying to follow that trail and that, that connection of here, here's somebody like, I'm getting so close to her. I can almost touch her. And um, 
we had a, I had a long talk with Nell, which was her friend, and we talked about Polly and she knew her in a different way, but um, was able to give me just a little bit of insight that did make it into the book. <laughs> yeah, that's wonderful. I mean, that that's so much what your, I mean, you had such a, a, a vibrant, I, my spouse, Ellis, is always looked to you as sort of an example of what is possible in elementary education. He, you know, <laughs> looks up to you in that, right? But you have had this vibrant extracurricular ministry around history. Um, my first encounter with you was because I was working at uh, the church by the White House in Washington, D.C., and Ellis started sending me pictures that you had put together from your mom's archives of a service that happened at the um, uh, at St. John's uh, ahead of the March on Washington. Mm -hmm. And we were coming up to the 50th anniversary and nobody who was around St. John's was remembering this service mm -hmm. that had happened. And so I started showing pictures to people and they're like, oh yeah. And so we, cel we celebrated that this service had happened and we didn't even think about it. But you have played this role of helping remind people uh, of the rich history. And in some ways, I, when I think about Polly Murray, it's one of those figures that for Episcopalians, um, we have to our own detriment ignored. Um, I mean, Polly becomes a saint just a few years ago, right? Mm -hmm. um, but we've not, I didn't grow up hearing the history of Polly Murray. I didn't hear about uh, this incredible um, civil rights figure. Uh, I didn't know until I was in seminary that Thurgood Marshall was an Episcopalian. Mm -hmm. right? mm -hmm. So, so this idea that the Episcopal Church had the capacity to raise up these folks that only now do we understand that they are American heroes um, is kind of a big deal. You know, the, the the way to erase history is to just not talk about it. Mm -hmm. If I never talk about Black folks' history, then, you know, nobody will ever know. So mm -hmm. it, it's, it's that kind of secret that you don't even have to do anything about. I just don't have to talk about it. But these people existed and they had these lives and they they made such contributions, not only to the church, but, you know, to all of, of America and, and affected people's lives in that way. And those are the stories that I'm always interested in telling. So when I would teach African-American history lessons to kindergartners, I always look for the people that nobody's heard of. Mm. I don't want to teach the Martin Luther King lesson That's that. Everybody does that. I want this lesson over here on Ann Cole Lowe. You know, I want this lesson over here on, on, on people that were in politics and people that were inventors and scientists and, and things like that and bring them up to the kids and make those people exciting to kids so that they just want to learn about them as people. And they happen to be Black too, which makes them awesome to me. <laughs> so. You know, so that's that's a thing. So that was part of of me being really passionate about this this opportunity to write this book. It's like this way that I've been teaching, the way that I've been introducing all of these people to my young learners. Now I get to put one of those books together to put in their hands so that they know the life of this new person who more excitingly was an Episcopalian. So I, I mean, you know, I can write from both sides as the education mm -hmm. part, of the, the um, Episcopal history part of it. And, and that's, that feels so good to me. Yeah. And I, we, I, I don't know how, 
clued in you. I've been to the um, conversation we've been having a little bit in February, it, sort of by accident at Holy Communion, but we had Sharonica Hardin uh, Bartley, who's the superintendent of U City Schools with us for um, the first Sunday in February. And it just sort of raised the attention, I think, for us about the difficulty going on in school systems. I'm grateful for you. You're retired right now and not having to deal with the insanity, right? But um, one of the things, we've got these windows that you were also involved in helping me connect, connect with Kababi and the windows that we're going to be installing later this year at Holy Communion, where we're going to have our first African-American biblical figures uh, in stained glass at Holy Communion. So and exactly. we're thinking about it in the midst of all this. And Rudy Nickens, our senior warden, called the, the window that we're getting ready to install a sweet, loving, beautiful contradiction to everything that's going on. And I just, for me, that's what this book is. It's a sweet, loving, beautiful contradiction for all those parents who absolutely want their kids to be learning this history, to be learning these stories, to be learning ways to have these conversations and to have heroes like Polly Murray. Yeah. Oh, what a thing to offer a sweet, loving, beautiful contradiction. Love that thought. I love that thought. It's, it's something that they need. And, you know, um, one of the things that I, I just was recently talking about was how the schools are banning books and, you know, all they, we don't want our kids to know this and everything. Parents and teachers and, and priests and all the other people in children's lives have the power to still introduce these amazing people to their kids. And so we can't leave it all up to the schools. If the schools are not going to do it, they're still our kids and we're responsible for them. And so we owe it to them to share this rich history of everybody and how we're all connected and how we're, we're all part of this world and we've made our contributions and that they will be the next people that will make contributions. I love the fact that Polly Murray didn't do anything, didn't do all of the things she did for the honor and glory of it. Yeah. Um, it was a calling for her and it was a calling from the time she was young. When Bishop Delaney laid hands on her and, and said, had this vision, you are a child of destiny. Mm. How can you not live into that? How can you not live into that? And she absolutely did. And she worked and she worked her way around things. She said she lived long enough to see her lost causes found. Mm. <laughs> you know, there was this work that Polly did to the all the way to the end of her life to have lived that rich, full life all the way to the end with all of the challenges and all the things that they were up against and still made a contribution is just amazing and so inspiring, so yeah. inspiring. So usually we'd be getting ready for, um, I'd be telling folks we're gonna do a Q&A with you on Sunday. We're gonna hold on that though. Um, mm -hmm. And we're gonna invite you back soon after the book premieres uh, yeah. to do a godly play story uh, okay. and do Q&A with the most important people around this book uh, mm -hmm. after we do it with the kids of Holy Communion. So. Look for an invitation, folks, for that in May. Uh, we will, on Sunday, um, have some conversations around representation and art and making sure everybody's got the links to order the book. Um, but we will look forward, Debbie, to having you back at your second home in the Episcopal Church in the St. Louis region at Holy Communion. Um, I welcome so, the opportunity. <laughs> uh, we'll look forward to that. So, 
Debbie, thank you. Thank you for your time. I'm really looking forward to this book. Um, and just thank you for being you. Thank you so much, Mike. <laughs>